Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Two Norings Podcast. I am your host, James, and I'm joined by my good friend, Timmy Long. Hi, everyone. Rowan is on the deck. Say hi, Rowan. Hi, Rowan. The mother of the guest, Sharon, is in the audience. Say hi, Sharon. And our guest today is Jessica Nivuelan, and the topics we are going to discuss is visual impairments, hysterectomies, education, and everything in between. Yeah. But before we get into it, uh, to ease it in, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from? How we interacted with you first day was you were at the Pride of Cork Awards where we received the award. You didn't, we did, and a lot of other great people did, and and, and not so great people. But uh, it was a good night, wasn't it? Yeah, I loved it. It was brilliant. Yeah. It was really, really good. So people understand why we got the award because of the podcast and all that. But will you tell us a little bit about how the award came about for you? Yeah, I will. Let's, um, so I suppose people probably know me in a few different areas, so... Uh, most people would have had like interaction with me a few years ago when I was getting my master's um, so I'd done four years of a degree in UCC and then I went back to do a master's in government and the night before I got it uh, this story broke like on like the examiner or whatever about I think it was like two or three SNAs which are special needs assistants being taken off kids that obviously needed them in a school in the north side and me and mom were just like, we were reading through the story and we're sitting down just chatting. And we were saying that like, do you know, God, like what would have happened without my SNA? I wouldn't have learned how to read and write. I wouldn't have been able to participate properly in school. Wouldn't have been able to do my junior cert. Wouldn't have got as far as leaving cert. Wouldn't have been able to do my leaving cert. And I definitely wouldn't have made it to college. So we were just chatting about that. And I was like, do you know what? Now I'm going to put a post up on Facebook, like, because this is disgraceful. Um... So I, I just wrote this post and kind of said, like, you know, you don't understand, like, what a key out of poverty education is. And that, like, if, like, basically how an SNA worked for me was they were like my eyes in a classroom because my eyes don't work. Like, I've been registered blind since I was born. I have a little bit of sight, but not much. Um, and that's kind of like, I, I just couldn't fathom how someone would think it's acceptable to take a sense or like a support like that off a child in a classroom. But like, like I put up on Facebook that afternoon and I think by that evening, like we were all kind of joking and saying, oh, you're after going viral because I had like 400 shares or something. Like by the next day, it was up to like thousands. So that's how people would know me. Like I actually, <laughs> I ended up on the examiner <laughs> the, day, the, day that I, uh, the day that I graduated. It was front page of the examiner. So there was an awful lot of slagging like. Congratulations. That's, that's, I think that's fantastic. 
And like that's how because most people would know me like. Because your voice. But but there's behind all that. Behind that. There was. Right. There was a purpose to that story happening. This is where I'm coming from here. Yeah. Because you have a very inspirational story. In one sense. You know. The. Your education journey. And. And your. Even your mental health journey. Yeah. How you came out of that. And. You know. So can you bring us a little back and just tell us how it was like for you maybe growing up in school and at home and the streets? Uh, yeah, like I suppose it's, it's kind of hard now to think back that far because mm. I just turned 30. Oh God, help us. <laughs> yes, I know, yeah. A young one, uh, like. <laughs> <laughs> but you're from Ballyfehan, is it? Yeah, so uh, we lived in Ballyfehan. Um, There's something about Ballyfehan for an hour. Sorry to interrupt, you know, but do you know when Here I'm going we out, are now. Do you know when I'm going out to Turner's Cross sometimes, you not know, for the watch to Cork City, yeah. sometimes it's very busy, so I'll drive into Ballyfehan. Yeah. Ballyfehan looks, to all, all the states look the exact same. And I'm walking, no, if, I, if I drive two minutes from Turner's Cross into Ballyfehan, I need Google Maps to find my way back out of it. But that's how <laughs> I feel about Farron Reese, so it's kind of the same. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Farron Reese. Like, I actually don't know the difference between Ballyfehan and Ballyfehan. <laughs> I, actually, I actually don't know <laughs> which me, one is where. You win that one. <laughs> I actually genuinely don't know. I'll leave it at that. I'll, I'll leave you continue, but I do get confused with the names of the two places because yeah. they're so similar. So what was it like growing up for you? Like when you said that you were born with the visual impairment. Yeah. Is it like how far can you see? Can, can you read? Um, I can if it's very up close to me. So like I can see the two of you there now, but I can't actually differentiate between your faces. So if one of you made a face at me or like gave me the finger or whatever, I actually wouldn't see it. So can you see like a silhouette of us? I can see a silhouette and I know like that like your silhouettes are different, if that makes sense. So that's how I know that like Timmy's on this side and James is on this side. No, please don't. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't believe how many people walk up to me and say, okay, how many fingers am I holding up? It's the most irritating thing ever. What was it like as a child? See, the thing about it, right, was I didn't know any different. Like, I, I have friends who have visual impairments and they went, like, they, like, if, they're people that, like, would have went blind, like, overnight or they had a disease where they lost their sight slowly. I didn't. So I, I've only ever been able to see what I can see. Do you know what I mean? that kind of way? So for me, it never made a difference. And like mom and dad, like they would have told me that I was visually impaired, obviously. But like, how much of that can a six-year-old really kind of understand? I just knew that I couldn't really see things. But like, I remember there was another girl in my class with glasses and I thought she couldn't see things either. Like, because like, it was just the innocence of a child. Like, so. Um, can you see colours? Yeah, I can see colours. It's a bit like, the way I explain it to people now is, so there's kind of two sides to it. So there's like the vision impairment, which is like, it, it's like, do you know if you're doing like, uh, do you know if you're reading the chart in the doctor's office? So like, I can only read the top line, which is one letter. And I generally know that letter is normally either A or Q. So even if I can't see it, I guess yeah, you it. You've so <laughs> Um but like that's all I can see. So it's basically like kind of once you get kind of an arm's length away from me, things go blurry. So like I work on silhouettes then or like if I'm not working on silhouettes, I'll work on colours. Do you know that kind of way? Like and that's that's kind of how I manage. But then I suppose the other thing is I also have an involuntary movement to my eyes. 
which I don't know if you've coughed it already, but they, they just move from side to side. Like it makes me look really shifty to get into clubs. I used to never be able to get into clubs when I was a bit younger yeah. because like they always thought I was on something. Yeah. Which like, to be fair, look, they're not going to know. Like oh. um, it gets you to the top of an A&E list very fast. So I'll yeah, say that yeah, much. Yeah. But um, And you know, like is the condition, you is, the, is, it, is there a name for the condition that you have for your eyesight? Was it hereditary or? Um, so it's called, just a mouthful now, it's called oculocutaneous albinism. So oculo is eyes and cutaneous is skin, so it affects my skin as well. Like I can't tan at all. Like the night that I met you, I was covered head to toe in black magic tan. Like that, do you know what I mean? I don't tan, like I, sunbeds don't work on me. Like we went to Lanzarote there recently and I had to get a spray tan before I left. And I came back then and I was born, like, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like you wouldn't believe, like I'd learn from reflection um, and I'd have to be very careful with my skin as well because you would have a higher chance of getting things like skin cancer. But like, that's just something that I'm aware of. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Everyone checks themselves for moles and things yeah. at this stage. So like it affects, so like I, I think um, like obviously both my parents carry the gene, but they're not affected by it. Um, and obviously then the gene pool in Ireland is so small that... It actually, like, it's it's a rare enough condition anywhere else, but in Ireland, there's actually a high enough rate of it. Do you know, we had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, cystic fibrosis, she had. Yeah. It's similar to what you're talking about there. The two parents have it. It's rare in the world, but in Ireland, it seems to be way more common than the rest of the world. What was the yeah. name behind it? Um, cystic fibrosis. Yeah, remember she told the us. Celtic the Celtic disease yeah. or something like that. Yeah. It's common in Celtic countries like Ireland, Scotland and Wales. So, um, what about when you're coming into your teenage years? That was, that was hard now. Mm. Do you know, like, I suppose in, in school, I was lucky because I went to, like, it was a small enough school and it was an Irish school. So, what was like, the name of the school? Uh, Grail School in Tylegnefa. It's up in Torrey Top Road, up in Ballafihan. Are you, um, uh, can you speak Irish fluently? Yeah, I'm a Grail Gore. Now, yeah. I'm much better at listening than I am at talking it because, purely because I just lost it after mm. after school. Like, do you know what I mean? Because you just don't use it as much. Like, I use it at work with the few that would be Grail Gores, but, like, I just, I'm not a, not hardly as fluent as I was. But, um, like, school was grand because I suppose like that now, I, like, mum and dad never really kind of, they told me I was different, but, like, you didn't feel different. I though. didn't yeah. because they treated me the same as my brother. I still learned how to roller skate badly. <laughs> I still learned how to cycle and I took the I took the legs off a table in the kitchen when I was about eight and I've never been allowed to forget about it. Um like so I still <laughs> learned everything normal. Now I will say I wasn't able to obviously kind of read properly and I really wasn't able to write properly until I was nearly nine or ten. And that was purely because they teach you how to do that stuff on a blo- on a blackboard. I couldn't see it. Yeah. And would glasses have any effect then? Um, so I'd have a little bit more definition with glasses. And like I do use them at work now because I don't want to strain my eyes too much. But like they wouldn't. I mean, I was at the top of a class and I was still too far away from the blackboard. Like what I would use in secondary school is like, it's like a little telescope that I would use. And obviously I could see things then. But like, I didn't have that in primary school until very late. Do you know what I mean? Until I, act- excuse me, I think I just burped into the oh, microphone. You're okay. That's, that, no, that is, that's the fizzy water. I know. I- no, that's the coffee I had. <laughs> yeah, I'm, try- I'm trying to cut you on a deal here, but uh, I'm trying to give you an excuse to use it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, do you know, it was only until I got the SNA 
that I was able to kind of start really properly working in the classroom because like I was frustrated, but I'm very smart. Do you know what I mean? So when someone gave me the same equal opportunity in the classroom that everyone else had, I was able to keep up with people, no problem. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I was so, I was so cross with myself because I couldn't understand why I couldn't, I, I couldn't learn the same as everyone else, do you know, that kind of way. And like, even when I had the SNA in the classroom, there was no big hoo-ha, there was no big deal about it. It was just like, oh, Jessica and someone else that was in my class, like we shared the SNA and it was like, oh, is the two of them just like have like an extra helper? Like it was, there was no, there was no kind of looking at each other weird or mm. none of that. Do you know what I mean? So it was just normal was to me. Was there like, any bullying? Yeah, there was. was. When you were smally or was it in secondary school? Both. Like when I was small, like, and do you know what? Do you know what the sad thing about it was? It was more from the parents than it was the kids. You're joking me. I wasn't invited to a birthday party when I was about oh, seven or eight. I think it was, yeah, I think it was after my communion. So I must have been about eight. I wasn't invited to a birthday party because the mothers of the child that was having the birthday party thought like, what would we do with her? And I'm not being funny. That has stayed with me for years. Oh, that's really hard. That's... Do you know, like, and it was actually, it was a friend of mine. It was her mom stood up for me. I don't even think my mom even knew about it. Thank God. Do you know what I mean? But it was, it was a friend of mine, her mom stood up for me and was like, you know, you can't treat her like that. She's the same as everyone else. But it was, it was that old kind of, um, that notion in Ireland that like, if you have any kind of disability, it must mean that there's something wrong with your mind. (laughs) They can't like separate the fact that you mightn't be able to see or you mightn't be able to hear or you might be able to walk from the fact that you could be like, you know, very intellectually impaired in some way. Or, but still, do you know what, actually, that's not even a good enough reason not to invite a child to no. another child's party. You know, I'm sorry. When I, when I asked you that question, I did, probably could have had a good guess that there was bullying went down because children tend to um, pick out on people that are different. And when children are younger, uh, does you could kind of excuse it. They don't know any better. But for when an adult does it, there's not absolutely yeah. no excuse in that. Honestly, no, like... I don't care what's going on in your life yeah. or what your background is or whatever. You don't exclude children from parties like that because it's just not right. But anyway, you didn't let it hold you back. No. And you drove on with your life. What happened when you left school? Did you go straight into college or? Um, so like I went through school, like again, now this SNA situation. Like I had no SNA until I was in junior start year. So like we were actually... When we went back and looked at my marks when I was in fifth year, I think you could like tell straight away the years that I had an SNA and the years I didn't. Because the years I didn't have an SNA, I was getting letters home. I was like failing. Like I remember one of the teachers telling me like, oh, you need to pass down to, I needed honours level uh, biology to get into the college course I wanted. And the I didn't, they cut my SNA hours, so I didn't have someone to cover me in the class. So I obviously couldn't partake in the class because I couldn't see. Um, and the teacher was like, oh no, like she, she's not able for it. She just needs to drop down. And we actually, mum and dad got me a grains teacher for like two, two hour slots every week for the whole of sixth year. And like I was able to keep it up and I got my college course. But like the there was no fighting to get it. Yeah. Like there was no, there was no understanding yeah. from the teacher's point of view. He just thought I was... Not stupid, but he didn't think I was up to it. He like he was basing his ideas around 
the other students within the classroom. I completely relate yeah. to, your, to what you're talking about. He was basing, but I think, I think things are changing, James, aren't they? I think as society and the education board and everybody involved in education are going to start to have to look at each individual child and see yeah. how can they give that child the best education that they they deserve. Number one, yeah, you know, and they need number two, and it has to meet their ability. Because education is something that is absolutely vital to each and every one of us for us to flourish within society and ourselves in our own personal development and growth. Yeah. Because it gives us an understanding of ourselves or how we think and how we feel, you know, yeah. wording. Because from my own experience, it wasn't until I got educated, I started to understand how and why I ticked the way I did you know, so I think education <clears throat> needs to be looked at a little bit more in depth and each individual child, it, sh- it should yeah. be, uh, it, there should be like a roadmap in how to teach every child. Yeah, I can see kind of similarities between yourself and Timmy experience in terms of like... And I was actually saying that to someone the other day, I identify an awful lot with your yeah. story, except like we both kind of went different ways with it. Yeah. But you know what I, when you said there like... Uh, you were well able to learn. You just hadn't got the support to facilitate yeah. it. Like your brain and Timmy's brain was firing on all cylinders. Nothing at all wrong with the brain. Yeah. Timmy had dyslexia, you had the visual impairment. He had to learn it in a different way. Yeah. But the brain was fully functioning. Could have been the brightest brains in the whole class. But it's just, that's that's why it's important that, like what we're doing with the walk on Saturday, you know, we're, yeah. we're doing a charity walk for, uh, raise money for uh, for children to get assessments so that they're not left down the back of the class because there's so much potential being lost for people there, you know? Yeah. What was the leaving cert like for you? Tough. Leaving cert. <laughs> God, that takes me back. Um, it was horrific. And I'll actually, and I've said it since, it's the worst exam you'll ever do in your whole life. I don't know why it hasn't been changed. Because it's all about like memory and like just because you can remember something that doesn't make you the smartest person in the room. Do you know that kind of way? Like obviously like I totally understand that you have to measure it but measure someone at their level. Mm, Do you know that kind of way? Yeah, I think uh, this is my understanding of it. I think they should change it completely and stop it. Yeah. And maybe judge each individual child through their last two years, fifth and sixth year and how their work ethic is, yeah. how hard they work, their progress, their attitude, instead of, like, you might have this one guy who has a photographic memory and yeah. looks at something once, James, you know what I'm talking about here, and he knows it off by heart. And you might have me, who has read the same article he has read 50 times and it still doesn't sink in. Yeah. And I'm getting stressed Every single time I read it, because I know it's not going to lodge inside my head for when I need to walk into the exam and write it down, you yeah. know. But if if you're in school and the teachers and everybody involved in the education system can see that individual really, really working hard, I think it, it actually makes more sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm, oh, definitely, definitely. But it just goes to show like that, the, the importance it is to have... SNAs and there'll be a lot of SNAs listening to the podcast yeah. because you know um the nature of what we talk about we're huge advocates for education and oh, yeah. education yeah. is no, somebody's that. right and you should be allowed yeah. to have a full education no matter 
what you're learning difficulties may be. Yeah. You know, the support should be there. We're, we're out working, you know, we're paying our taxes and PRSI and all these things and a solid education should be a basic requirement for every citizen in the country and Ukrainians yeah. and everybody else that wants to come over. Because it's up to you what you do with it after that. But at least if you have a solid foundation, the world is your oyster then. Do you know what I mean? Whether you can see, whether you can't see, whether you can't hear, whether you can't walk, whether you like have mental health issues, whether you have problems going on at home that don't allow you to properly concentrate. Because all this goes on in the middle of like kids in puberty as well, which is not the easiest thing to go through either. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Speaking of which, and I know your mother was in the audience, so I won't mm-hmm. try to embarrass you, but what was life like as a teenager and, and boys and stuff like that? Was it difficult to mix with boys and yeah it was like it was um like like I wanted to be the same as the rest of the girls and I was and like I like I had friends right but I had like maybe four really close friends and like two of them I still have today do you know in that kind of way it was What's always their names? like yeah like What's their it, names your uh, friends one of them is actually called Jessica <laughs> Hi Jessica. So there's Jessica and Jessica. We call each other number one, number two. <laughs> Hi Jessica, number two. <laughs> um, and another friend I would have had like kind of the whole time through school is probably April Kelly. I'd say one of the girls that I was in primary school with. We stayed in contact the whole time. Hi April Kelly. Hi April. Um, so like, do you know that's just kind of where I was like. Yeah. Um, Good to have friends like that, isn't it? It is because like they're the friends that like I could pick up the phone to them in the morning and just be like, I'm in trouble. Or do you know that kind of way? Um, now, I will say like mom and dad had a really tight leash on us. <laughs> Pure helicopter parents. Sorry now. Do you know what I seen from <laughs> your mother from the moment I saw her? It was like this guardian angel yeah. behind you with the wings out and just on protection mode consistently. Like, yeah. And I could see how much love that she had for you. Like, and like, I, I, do you know what? I... Like a lioness I would actually fear for the fella that ever does <laughs> does give you uh, shit down the line if I'm going to be honest because he will have to deal with a mammy like Sharon will go full uh, belly for hand on <laughs> and you don't want to go full belly for hand on nobody like <laughs> oh, in trouble. Let's uh, just keep it like that. The last Ballyfian person we had on the podcast was the Taoiseach. He sat in that chair next year, <laughs> and he, me, he'd be very proud of you. Exactly. Because he he's would. a huge advocate for education, too. Yeah. He's pro Ballyfian. Well, he was man. the one that brought in the SNAs first. I know, day. that's right. You he know? said it was here. Like, he had the foresight to do that. Like That's amazing. Yeah. Like, look at the We totally to differ that. politically. Like, but, yeah. Yeah. like, it's the same idea. Like, you have, do you know, like, like he he was the education minister that brought in the SNAs and like yeah okay like I think they're kind of they're slowly kind of working out the cracks in it now I think I, I do think it did take a long time to do that but like at least it's happening Are SNAs only in public schools? As far as I know they are but you see I only ever went to public schools I never went to a private school but as far as I know they are it's it's just something in within the kind of gift of the Department of Education and the National Council for Ed- Special Education. What did you do after you finished primary or secondary school? Um, so I went straight into college. Which Nobre, college? Uh, UCC. Fuck so. a fair place, yeah. What course did you go into? <laughs> <laughs> See, this is funny now because <laughs> I did a Bachelor of Science in Public Health and Health Promotion. Oh, brilliant. Which, like, the only reason I'm laughing is because 
when I went into college, I took up smoking. And here I was, like, doing the smoking cessations. Or... <laughs> <laughs> There used to be a group of us in the class. We were like the terrorists, like. Mm. Um, but probably the first bit of freedom you had. See, it was. And like, do you know, I'm glad my parents were kind of on protection mode with us because it kept me out of the trouble that I would have gotten into. And I can see that now. I couldn't see it at the time. But like, I think if we didn't have that, if me and my brother, like if we didn't have that kind of helicopter parenting <laughs> over us, I don't know about him, but I think there was fierce potential for me to go off the rails there because I was do you know I was a bit like you Timmy I was just so frustrated in the classroom the whole time just didn't nothing really and I was like what's the point was the university very difficult for you saw it was the opposite UCC was so different it did was you get like, the right supports yeah from they day one they're, they're very good aren't it, they? it yeah. works totally different it's like they now it could be a bit different now but I know when I went in it was like they assess you and they meet your needs whereas in in like primary and secondary, it was a case of like, this is what we can offer you. You'll have to figure out how to bridge the gap. Do you know that kind of way? So it was, it was different. Like, but like for once, I kind of wasn't worrying about asking for something because I wasn't afraid someone was going to say no or that, or that I'd have to be like assessed for a week. And like, oh, I remember being, I remember when Cenos used to come into the classrooms in secondary school and they'd assess you for like the hours of SNAs that you'd get. And like, if you were too good, if you were learning too well, you got your hours cut. Do you know, whereas in UCC, if you said to them like, no, I'm really struggling with this, they could offer you equipment, they could offer you a person to take the notes, or they could offer you grains. So it just depended on which way you thought the, would be best. The, the thing with the universities is like, UCC is a very rich organisation with over 20,000 students and huge yeah. amount of resources. I remember when I was over there, um, remember seeing uh, you know, No Limbs, No Limits, Joanna. Yeah, she was in college when I was there. Yeah, no, no arms and legs to me. But she booted around the college campus. Yeah. One of the smart, she did a master's in criminology. Yeah, she, worked she for, did, yeah. She works for Red FM in the sports. She's a sports journalist. No. Yeah. Mad, but like, there's no real, there's no real reason and there's courses over there. You'd see people with Down syndrome going in and graduating. Yeah, they do like the life skills courses yeah. and the like UCC plus and all that. Like. Yeah, but there's a huge amount. Like if, if there's people listening to this podcast, the point I want to make is it doesn't matter what your level of ability is or what you perceive your level of ability is. There's a course there for you mm -hmm. and there's supports there for you. Yeah. If that's a tutor, I the tutor myself. Yeah, same you know, as me. So I yeah. got grants every year. We got a... Every year I got 800 euros and the Christmas week student assistance fund yeah. for poor students. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, that helped me get through the Christmas. Yeah. They, had, they had that in the MTU as well. Yeah. The, if, if a student was struggling, they just had to show that they were struggling. And that's how I was able to pay for my own assessment for um, the educational psychologist yeah. to get my own diagnosis because... I had two wife, I had two kids and a wife at home, yeah. and um, you didn't have the money for it. We like. hadn't got it, and uh, this this just just taught me to apply for it, and they were very 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 helpful, and that's even even the extra time for me. Yeah. No, I never finished an exam. I never finished all the questions or anything like that. But even the extra twenty minutes on top of the two hours for an exam. It was vital. It takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Was it was vital. You know, I, I'd still get two and a half questions. I don't know whether they're four yeah. or, I, or, or the three or whatever, but I was happy with that because I knew I'd just get over that line. Yeah. You know, but if, 
if it was a practical exam then I was I was coming up with with 95s and yeah. and hundreds in my making roofs and stuff you were and flying it I like I was flying yeah. because it was it was visual stuff yeah but when it comes to the memory stuff then it was like forget about it I used to get so stressed James mm. seriously like you still got through with good grades yeah I but got through with good enough grades to go on and do life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if AI could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Astros, anyway. And you did that in, uh, pub- in um, what was the master? Government. It was in government, but like the thesis for it, like the, uh, the yeah, the thesis was... Um, we had to like obviously pick something and I, funnily enough, obviously picked the Epson Act, the Education of People with Special Education Needs. So I, that's what I actually did my research on because I wanted to see how the implementation of the Act fitted around what they'd hoped the Act would do. Do you know this whole idea of giving every child in a classroom like a place? Yeah. So that's what I did my research in because like they said to us do it in something you're interested in mm. so and what did you find that the was it an adequate act was it being adhered to by education institutions or was there gaps it was more than adequate and like what it wanted to set out was like it, it wanted it was reaching for the sun moon and the stars but the issue came when the funding was needed like they were providing some funding and they have gotten better at it. But at that time, they just weren't meeting the funding levels that they needed. Like they needed something that was rights based with funding behind it. And they just hadn't reached that point yet. Um, But like it kind of backed up what I said that like, do you know, if the money is there, like the, the child gets the support. Because I mean, realistically, that's where it comes to. Because I, everyone has a budget to to work towards. But like I know when mum and dad were fighting for me to get the SNA, like the first, the very, very first time when I got one, like the visiting teacher at the time said to my dad when it was denied that like, well, you know, people like her don't read and write. Like that was the expectation of a blind person in the 90s that they just didn't read and write. Mm. Do you know? But like how different would my life have been if I didn't learn Mm. how to do that? I know, I know. And like, (laughs) do you know when you're reading and writing? Do you know when you're reading? Yeah. Are you reading like regularly or are you using Braille? Do you know what? Everyone asks me that and that's actually a good question to ask a blind person mm. because 
everyone's different. I don't read Braille. I never learned how to read it because when I was growing up, they were kind of saying, well, Braille is kind of going out of fashion. So I just learned how to read big text or like the National Council for the Blind would have been instrumental in like giving my parents like um like a PC for the house when no one had computers mm-hmm. so that I'd learn to read on that. Mm-hmm. And like even like my iPad, I read, well, I used to read books on it. I'm gone into audibles now because I use audibles it's myself, just too much strain on my eyes. It's more convenient, isn't it? Yeah. I find audio books, you know, I listen to it in the car when I'm on the go. Uh, I know a good podcast as well you would be interested in. Is it too narrow? Is it sorry? <laughs> I think your mum is a fan, isn't she? <laughs> Something popped into my head when you were talking about. Wouldn't it be great if, if, if you had some form of app or something on your phone or some yeah. built in? You could take a picture of a page, and it would repeat it back to you. And all you I'm hundred percent sure does do that. something like that already. Yeah. See, that was the other thing. I was very lucky with the timing of when I was kind of born as well, because like by the time I got into kind of college. Like before that, you would have had to have an assistant in the room or you would have had to have like these big, massive like screens onto the computer. Whereas by the time I got to college, like these kind of technologies, they were in iPhones, they were in iPads. Like so it was you you basically weren't a finger point. You weren't sticking out from everyone else. Do you know what I mean? So it actually it's it's handy like because even do you know you were saying that about that now like you can actually on your iphone take a photo and i'm not sponsored by apple it sounds like i am uh, it's just the day we, we'd happily this accept stuff, like, their sponsorship though, yeah and if anyone wants that. to give me a new iphone i'm here <laughs> <laughs> um, but like with the iphones now do you know like if i actually do it a lot with instructions for like cooking if i can't read something i'll take a photo of it and i can zoom in or i can highlight it and the screen reader will read it back to me like do you know like just something so simple but like it's in the palm of your hand now like yeah. tell me Brilliant. this Jessica yeah, um, we're so advanced now with uh, the medical world yeah. is there any possibility that you may be able to get your vision restored like to any 90 100% at some point because is 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 it happening is something like that happening I, 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 my question is that really is are people with your condition yeah. getting their sight back because of some miracle operation a doctor is doing somewhere in the world or anything? As far as I know, people with my condition aren't because my condition affects, like it affects how the, excuse me, it affects how the optic nerves form in the back of your eye. So it's more to do, like the issue I have is like bringing the message from the eye in through the optic nerve into your brain whereas the problem like some people are like getting their sight back but I think that seems to be more if they have an issue with like a detached retina or something that's very physical because mine is related to nerves no I haven't seen anything about it that doesn't mean someone isn't trailing it somewhere so you know that kind of way things are transforming at the moment in the medical world I would never be surprised I'd never rule it out like never you know, cause things are changing so much. But even if it doesn't happen, you're doing pretty well without, you know, yeah. with what you have. And you're doing more you're than most people. Yeah. More than pretty well. But you yeah. see, I think that's because, like, I always felt the need, like, when I kind of realised how different I was, I always felt the need to prove myself after that. And I'll run myself into the ground to do it. And it's, you know what, that's actually probably my biggest flaw, is I will run myself into the ground to prove that I'm either as good or better than someone else, purely because... I just feel 
Do I feel work. vulnerable because of it. You've actually done it already, so you can stop running yourself into the ground, girl. Trust me. <laughs> you've right. actually done it already. Yeah. You know, you've you've crossed over the the miracle boundaries in many many occasions. So just enjoy life. Yeah. Enjoy it. If my wife heard me saying that tonight, she would say, "Enjoy life. Get up home, you. <laughs> pra- practice what oh, you preach." She's like, I'm seeing you all week. <laughs> <laughs> no, but on a serious, no fair. Well. Yeah. But you know what it is with me as well, like the reason I talk about like the reason I talk about like what it was like in school and even like the women's health stuff and all that is like I've had my challenges in life. Right. And they've knocked me down and I've picked myself back up. But like if me talking about it can help one person either not go through what's happened to me or like have the knowledge to like navigate it in a different way where they don't end up traumatized from something then I've like done a good in the world if that kind of makes sense. And that is, I know now that probably sounds pure miscongeniality no, to some people. This but is that exactly is genuinely what where I come from. This is like. exactly what we're doing. So to speak, you're fine. Because yeah. you know what I mean? Your words have power and your testimony is going to be supportive to others. You mentioned women's health there. Do you want to yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, I suppose that's the other way people know, people know me. Um, so like when I came out of college and, you know, did my... Uh, masters and stuff and then I went working for a few years and then I lost my job in 2019 that summer but at that stage I was too sick to go back to work so basically what had happened was for years before that I'd been in and out of hospital with like unexplained pains in my stomach Um, sometimes they'd say it was like my intestines and then sometimes they'd say it was my ovaries and then it was this thing and it wasn't this thing this just went on for years like I'd had my appendix out in 2015. Um, it was actually the day I handed in my master's. I don't do things by halves. I know, I yeah. collapsed. There was an ambulance call for me in UCC, like mortified. Just anyway, handing in the master's. Literally, I went back to the, I went <laughs> back to the library to get my bag and I just hit the deck. And the next thing I woke up in mercy. Can um, I tell you my appendix story? Go on. <laughs> when I was in primary school, Naknahini, St. Mary's Underhill. I was, uh, I think I was in sixth class, yeah. about 11. And I'd walk up in the morning and I had a pain in my side. So we were sitting at the breakfast table, myself, my two younger sisters and my mum. And I was in pain, right? But my mum didn't believe me. And she'd heard I was trying to get off school. <laughs> so she sent me to school and the school sent me home. And I ended up going to the doctor, the GP. He said, go straight to the hospital. I was in the hospital for six weeks. I was in intensive care. Six weeks. I was in six weeks intensive care. My appendix had burst and had infected all my internal organs. I tell you, I was very, I was very, very sick. I was on a drip for so long that they ended up putting line through my juggler vein to feed me, and I didn't eat for six weeks. I was in a bad way that time to me. But Daniel, that was my mum's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Mine wasn't my mum's fault. No, no, no. Your mum is the same. I have to sure. say that now because she's here. <laughs> But um, no, it was more or less uh, something very similar happened to me. Like when when I'd had my appendix out, I don't know, did they burst while they were taking them out or something like that anyway. And like they had to do this thing called a washout. But I never thought anymore about it. I was in hospital for a week and I was left go home and I had my blood test afterwards and like everything looked fine. Except that obviously I just had been very sick. So this went on for a few years that I was in and out of hospital. I'd go in with like these things called like ovarian cysts so your your ovaries are like three centimeters that i don't even know if that's three centimeters yeah, 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 I'm just yeah, guessing. Far off, yeah. but yeah. like 
I would have cysts that like I remember one of them was like nine centimeters like I'd have these huge like cysts now they'd eventually burst and I'd be sent home and they'd be like look it'll settle at some stage was kind of what I was putting up with and I think I'd gone I'd had one operation uh on my just on my reproductive system like just to see what was going on like I'd asked for one a few times and the consultant I was under at the time just said absolutely not like there's no need he actually said to me go away and have a baby and come back to me you'll be fine that's what he said to me and like to be honest like I didn't know if I was going to bother doing that anyway because I, you know, yeah. I, I just had no, I was baby. in my 20s like yeah. I had no interest I know. <laughs> not in having babies anyway <laughs> do you know what I mean um so I had changed consultants and I had one operation and after it and like this just is just seemed to be what happened after every operation since then I woke up I was only supposed to be in for like the day I ended up having to stay like two nights because it had been I think when the surgeon got in there she said it was all very aggressive looking one side of my system was working and the other side wasn't and the side that wasn't working um or sorry the side that was working five weeks later I had developed a tumor on that side now it was non-cancerous but it had to be taken out uh with an emergency surgery because if it wasn't taken out it was going to burst through a, uh, an artery and I would have bled internally so is a hysterectomy when they removed the wound yeah so like that was so those two operations kind of happened within four weeks of each other then I had one about four months later in 2019 and then the hysterectomy was in October 2019 so I kind of had like four operations with the big one within kind of 13 months um the hysterectomy was like so they take out your womb but like mine was like I think called a radical one so they took out my ovary well my remaining ovary which was the one that wasn't working anymore because the other one was gone um they took out my cervix thing that you have your smear is done on um, and they took around kind of all the ligaments and everything around it. Mm. Does that affect your um, hormonal profile in terms of estrogen and testosterone production? Yeah. Because you see your ovaries are what make your hormones like for women. So like you basically wake up and like the hormone, I call it like the hormone factory in your body is gone. And would you ever consider doing HRT? I'm on HRT. Oh brilliant. Yeah. So like I had my surgery HRT? in London. Sorry. Uh, hormone replacement therapy. Like so what you Joe Rogan and them is doing, like but for women oh, with yeah. estrogen, okay. because if you're like if you take the testosterone out of your body now, your mood will go low, your libido will be gone. You'll be you know, exhausted. You'll be exhausted. Like you need that. So it'd be the same for a woman. And what happens then is when women, sometimes women, when they go through the menopause and the estrogen is going low in the body, sometimes they'll go on HRT so they don't have all those negative side effects. But for somebody so young like you, yeah, like you'd want the HRT. Like like it's different for someone when it happens some kind of in the normal years, like in their 40s or their 50s, because like it slowly goes down and their yeah. body kind of and it's gets natural. used to it. Yeah, and like they can make a decision then if they want the HRT, like... I know now there's a, like a movement to say everyone should be using it. Personally, I think they should, but it's everyone's own choice. Like mm. some people don't want to, but like for me then, like like if you literally wake up without ovaries, like mm. what a shock to the system. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's different when it's surgical because 
it's there, there's no kind of slow slow chance yeah. to kind one of day you're f- one day you've a full gone. hormonal profile then the next day you've none yeah and, and ho- even you know you're on about testosterone there i never knew that like my ovaries made testosterone i've only recently started taking testosterone supplements and like that now it changed like like i used to be exhausted after work to the point where I'd come in and I wouldn't eat and I'd get into bed, I'd sleep for 12 hours, I'd get up and I was still tired. Mm. Well, sure, even estrogen, which is the, yeah, the, main, that's, that's the that's, main one. Like. That's the vital hormone in, in a male in terms of like the cognitive development and, you know, the, 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 the brain side of it as well as, um, you know, we're a, a, a chemical machine that's very finely balanced and one counteracts with the other. It's just in women, it's the, the more prominent one is estrogen and for men it's uh, testosterone. But what's your quality of life like at the moment? It's much better than it was before the operation. Like before the operation, like I don't actually remember most of the summer before that because I was on oxycodone, morphine. Uh, like one it, second, one second. Any drugs. What was it like? What was it like taking oxycodone and morphine? <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> but Do you know what? It was, it was grand it, until I had to detox. I know. Exactly, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, that, that was horrific. That, that was the worst experience I've ever had. You're talking about the equivalent of heroin in a tablet. Like that's, that's what it is like. What I was didn't it know like? that when I took and, it. And pure. Oh, I'm really just pure. pharmaceutical grade. Do you know what? I've actually, I was saying this to someone the other day. Like, it was like, do you know when you take, when you take it? Now, obviously, I kind of, I didn't realise this the first time I took it. Like, genuinely. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like very well insulated that I wouldn't know things, but like I genuinely thought like if a doctor has given you this safe to take. Yeah. Like, do you know when you hear people say I chase the dragon? I think with Oxy, you chase the dragon, you find the dragon, you're your best friends. Oh yeah. It's the weirdest, it gives you the weirdest feeling in the world. Look at the trust that we have in uh, in our doctors. Look look at the trust that the Americans have in their doctors that they will give you Oxycontin out of. Because people had a pain in their toes and half of the country didn't got caught up in them. Mm. Like, but I think for maybe I was horrified when I saw that. Now to be yeah. fair, the pain I was in, you're talking, you know, when they say one to ten, yeah, I was hit. That's what 10. I was going to say. It's so far it was like warranted. If you have a hysterectomy or you have cancer or if you have something severe, you can understand why a doctor would use that specific yeah. tool available to him. The problem comes whereas to moderate pain and people get um, oxys and it's not giving out that easily back here in Ireland no it isn't it's, it's what, what we're here saying here yeah. is is you always America. have to err on the side of caution yeah. Yeah. Though, yeah. because yeah. you do ha- you had withdrawals coming off yeah. it like I think if I knew how bad the withdrawals were going to be from it I don't think I would have taken it because did it help the pain I don't know if it helped the pain but I know it kept me more quiet about the pain if that makes sense like I slept a lot Um. And like they kind of, there's a lot kind of up in the air about it here as well. Like I had no access to a pain consultant after the surgery because I had to go private. So I had to go to England to have the hysterectomy. So like obviously I couldn't find a pain consultant when I come home in time to detox me properly. My own GP, God love him, had to do it. And I don't know how he did it. How long did that detox take? Um... Two weeks, I think. Two weeks. Isn't yeah. How long beyond the... I was on it. I'd been on it for like nine months before that. It's a long time. Yeah. Long but like they actually time. said to me, I remember when I went in to try and figure out the detox because like, I like, see, I stopped taking mm. them. That was the problem. Yeah. I just stopped because I, th- I thought it was like salpidines. You could just stop mm. taking it. Or like, do you know, even like tramadols, you could just stop taking it. And it wasn't. Mm. 
I've I actually took oxy for my back. I actually I literally it's couldn't pull on. I, we talked about this before. I couldn't put on my socks to go to work, and a family member had oxy because they were after damaging their back very badly as well. And I took a few of them going to work, and I took them for a while, not too long, and I had the worst come down. Like I've took all forms of drugs. Yeah. Right and alcohol and been on benders for weeks and weeks. I was in a really, really bad place after trying to come down off these things. Like, I swear, I was having these nightmares. I thought I was going to die and everything. Yeah. You know, it was like I was falling from heights and all this And it stuff. feels so real. And you get these pulses, these feelings of like, yeah. it's like someone sent an electric shock through your body. Yeah. Like, it's horrific. Yeah. And like, don't even... Oh, like all of it, like the jitters, mm, the, the, it jitters, was yeah. the worst yeah. detox. Like, I... I, I'm not someone who's a lot of experience with detox, uh, like, but I, I have mean, a lot of experience, and I can, yeah. I can corroborate I can what you're saying. <laughs> the most horrific drug I've ever taken. It's in my horrible, life. but any opiate, any like uh, people addicted to norepinephrine plus or anything like that, and heroin and methadone, it's more or less the same withdrawal. It's yeah. that shivers, the cold, the craving, the insomnia, the not being able to eat or whatever. And I think, like on top of that, what I was dealing with as well is like when, like just before I had the operation, when I had the scans and stuff done. They told me that like I was past the point of having IVF as well. And at that stage, I decided I wanted to at least keep my eggs. So I was dealing with like all this traumatic, emotional stuff. And then there's just, then I have this drug that like numbs the pain and numbs so my you, brain. Have like, you got your eggs frozen? No, I was too late. Oh, that's a bollocks now, wouldn't it? Yeah, bollocks is to put it nicely. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Do you know what? I've no kids either. And you can have a great life with no kids. And it's not the end yeah. of the world, yeah. I know, I know, like, it's the most natural thing no, in the world no. as well. I don't think I'd have... You see, this is the thing, right? I actually don't think I would have had them anyway. It's, it's just the, the option was taken from you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's the not, difference. It's, it's, it's like, it's not the end of the world either. If, if you ever, ever did want to have a child, you could very easily adopt a child as well. Exactly. And, you know, and they'd be lucky to have you. Exactly. Like, I'd love to foster. That's like, like, my five-year goal is, like, to get properly settled excuse me get properly settled in Dublin and like to actually like do like maybe emergency fostering so I'd give like even newborns or like small kids that have just been taken like give them a a good kind of soft landing for a week or two are you living in Dublin now yeah full time like I suppose like that's the other side of that was one of the things I really had to do afterwards was leave because it's actually an awful thing to say about your own city and I love my city and I'm like Cork through and through like to the point where like I, I actually have the Cork City FC crest on my door uh, at work but like I had to go because what's, what's work these days Jessica work is uh, I'm a political advisor to Martin Kenny the Sinn Féin TD for Justice oh very good yeah so like we work on a lot of like everything that's in the justice profile so you'd be going everything from um from like civil law, like defamation, things like that, to uh, like the granting of the visas now for like the refugees from the Ukraine, things like that. And then it also goes all into criminal law and just even the rehabilitative side of law. It's like, lads, it's so interesting. Where's this constituency? Sligo. <laughs> Sligo and Leitrim. And you're in Dublin. And right. I'm in Dublin from Cork. <laughs> Jesus, and in our Ireland approach. Does he come down to Dublin and do you work in, through... Uh, 
Zoom and all this um, stuff. So, like, obviously, like, I like this is kind of this is post COVID. So, I like I don't know what it have been different before COVID. I only like started working with him last year. So he's in Dublin like three days a week that the doll sits, and then unless there's something specific he has to be in Dublin for, he's in his constituency all the time. You were about to tell us there where you where you had to leave Cork. Yeah, do you know what? I just had to leave because like, obviously, like all this was going on for me. Like I was dealing with all this, like all this traumatic, like changes to my life and changes to my body and all this. And like afterwards, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, which like that's something I thought people only got in the battlefield. Genuinely, like I thought people in Afghanistan, like who were in a war zone got it. I didn't know that you could get it from being sick. Did you listen to our podcast with Dr. Bessel van der Kolk? He was the leading expert. I should have said, yeah, shouldn't I? Yeah, your mum did in the background. He's the leading expert in PTSD in the world. He was the first person to trial Prozac with uh, Vietnam vets. And he's, you should go and have a listen to it. What he found in these trials with working with people with PTSD is the the Vietnam veterans obviously had post-traumatic stress. But the people that had these life experiences, they weren't that what. But they had regular life experiences, but they had the same symptoms as the people in. So the body reacts the same. Yeah, that's the, trauma the thing I Regardless about of it. the event. Yeah, and that's the thing. And do you know what? Like it kind of takes you back as well. Like I learned, I learned more about PTSD. Like obviously, when I was diagnosed with it, when I spoke to my doctors about it and stuff. But I was also able to learn about it because I was able to read about it. Like again, imagine what would have happened if I couldn't read. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, that blows my mind sometimes, like. It bring, brings you back to edu- the, the, the personal growth aspect yeah. of education. It's it's very important for anybody, you know, I always emphasise this in any air, any air meeting, when somebody just gets recovery into their life and they might not have had an education, by going back and doing a small, simple course where they're just doing the basics in English or whatever, you know, and work yeah. your way up. Because education is the key t- to understanding why things happen and understanding yourself. Yeah. And, and it's like, you just you just said it. You just absolutely just said it there. Like, if you didn't know how to read because of the SNAs and, and getting the help that you required, you wouldn't have learned too much about PTSD and, and yeah. all the other stuff, you know, and I think it's, it's very important to mention yeah. that. I want to close it up there now, but I just wanted to say... Um, I just want to give a shout out to all the lioness mammies out there looking after their kids <laughs> and all the SNAs and all the other supports that helps support people through education. Um, just plans for the future. Do you know that Martin Kenny, the TD? Yeah. Do you know if Sinn Féin got into power in the morning, would he be, do you reckon he'd get the profile, the portfolio for justice? I can't ask me that. Um, but I'm just like the to, presumption is that he would. Yeah, yeah, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, like, like that's Thomas Gould like is the shadow, like Thomas Gould is a spokesperson for drugs and recovery. Exactly, it would make sense. He would get the minister for state with responsibility yeah. for drugs. Or no brain would be housing, housing, and priority would be finance. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, um, when you get into power, <laughs> put us in touch with Martin Kenny. And we get him on the podcast. He actually listens to the podcast because I said to him last week, I was like, oh, I'm doing the Tunaris podcast now, so I actually won't be back in Dublin till Monday night. And he was saying, the Tunaris, they're having you on the show. Hi, Martin. <laughs> Martin, have a shout with Michelle O'Neill, will I? <laughs> you know, Michelle, congratulations to Sinn Féin and the successes up north. Um, Michelle O'Neill was born in Cork. Yeah, I know she's she the first minister in Northern Ireland. 
So, so a bland Cork woman is the yeah, first minister. A beautiful bland Cork woman. How long well. is she living in Belfast? Ah, uh, years. She, but she oh, was she, born in Cork. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. born from I, I think. So she's the first minister up there at the moment. Yeah, it's like, the first yeah, time. Yeah, they go into like, power sharing. It's the like, first time uh, the nationalist, nationalist party has been yeah. the dominant party. Sinn Féin won more votes than the Protestant parties for the first time ever. So look, we're going off on a tangent. Yeah, but we are. <laughs> Martin, can you give us a show? And Michelle O'Neill, we'd love to have you on. It was a pleasure talking to you, Jessica. Yeah, you too. Best of luck with everything in the future. Thanks, guys. And best Thank of luck, Sinn Féin, and so everybody much. there. It's it amazing listening to you, and, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to get a lot from your story. I hope so. Can I plug my Instagram before I leave? Of course you can. can. Course. Yes. For people that want to get in touch with you. Um, I run like, it's kind of like a support page. It's called surviving underscore hysterectomy. Uh, it's on Instagram. So like what I did was I charted the whole journey about like leaving for the operation, getting the diagnosis, getting the HRT afterwards, all that. Um, and I have some, like I try, like to be fair, I, I keep work out of it because I know everyone's politics is different, you know, that kind of way. But if anyone wants to kind of have a look at that, work away it, it's always good to keep the politics out of it because then we isolate ourselves exactly. from people that would be otherwise allies yeah and we always try to keep the politics out of this too because it's for everybody what you're doing is for everybody and what we're doing is for everybody yeah and the politics is for other podcasts and other exactly instagram so it's been a pleasure thanks thank you and you've raised a lovely woman for pleasure god bless thanks a million bye-bye Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.